All right, pardon the interruption. I'm Corey Novotny. It's National Fortune Cookie Day, Brian. Do you have a fortune for the listeners? I'm Brian Wells. Don't be bad like Brian. <laughs> That's always good <laughs> advice. Yeah, so if you are uh, a regular listener of the show, you'll know that we have a different format than normal. And if you're a fan of ESPN's Pardon the Interruption, you might recognize that introduction. So we're trying something new in this one. And I guess, Brian, I don't know about you, but I've always been a huge fan of PTI. Growing up, I watched that show just as much as I watched cartoons on Nickelodeon. I love PTI. I'm definitely a big fan of Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon. They've always been great on on that show. And so, yeah, that, Around the Horn, and then, of course, just the Sports Center highlights. Those are like the three top ones for me on on yeah, five five to seven monday through friday pretty much yeah. every day uh, I, I i would watch that after i ca- came home from school because mm-hmm. because typically i came home from school at like i would say probably four something or almost five and i would typically watch yeah around the horn and then pti yep just an easy transition for me around the horn was always a show that came on before pti uh pti was always one of my favorites and this is kind of an idea i've had for a while now is going with a pti style show so we figured this is a perfect time for it because there are a lot of notable topics maybe not as many main talk about these for 30 plus minutes at a time like we normally do so we'll see how it goes ideally we end up with a quicker episode than normal and uh, get to bounce around on ideas that maybe we would overlook in uh, other situations with our usual format so Uh, yeah I'm, I'm, i'm for the idea as well of course all right so with that let's get started have a lot of topics to discuss in this episode we had the open this past weekend cameron smith winning rory mcelroy falling to third after entering sunday with the lead deandre ayton's going back to the suns juan soto might be leaving the national soon but before we get to any of that let's talk about a story that is somewhat older at this point but happened since our most recent episode and that is the baker mayfield saga finally ending with the Cleveland Browns trading their former number one overall pick, former franchise quarterback, to the Carolina Panthers for a future fifth-round pick. So this was seemingly an inevitable move after the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, three first-round picks to the Texans, signed him to a huge guaranteed deal, and now, four months later, Mayfield is no longer in Cleveland. So with all that being said, who is more responsible for this breakup happening, Baker Mayfield or the Cleveland Browns? I think there is a collective blame on everyone, starting with Baker. He was the number one overall pick back in 2018, and I think these past four years have shown that he has not lived up to the expectations of being the number one overall pick, and Especially last year, he did not play well whatsoever. Yet, at the same time, though, he did deal with a bad shoulder injury to his throwing shoulder. But there are also rumors about how he was not taking things seriously. I don't know if you saw the rumor how he was uh, playing Halo (laughs) before some games, including the. I know his immaturity was called into question, but I did not know the Halo story. Well, he's definitely immature. He's definitely kind of kind of a douche. But but Baker. Yeah, there are rumors about him playing too much Halo, especially before the Christmas game versus Green Bay where where he had COVID as well, and he ended up not taking things seriously enough. So that was a rumor. Yeah, it's, of course, there's definitely immaturity issues with Baker at times, but I think the who should get the most blame, though, I would say the most to blame is the Cleveland Browns organization, the way they've handled this whole situation of, okay, yes, Baker... He, maybe he's not the guy, but to 
bring on a guy like Deshaun Watson. Yes, he's obviously a great quarterback when he's on the field, but he's has all these off the field issues, of course, with everything that's going on with his lawsuits and and then not only do they bring him in to replace him, but they have a fully guaranteed contract and they basically just kick Baker to the curb and I just don't think it's a great even though Baker yes, he did not live up to the number one pick, but I don't know. Just the way they handled that situation was, I feel like that was so much worse on their part than anything Baker has done. So I blame the Browns more than anybody organization. Really, If the football gods are real, you know, they exist. Karma is real. Then the Cleveland Browns will not come out pretty based on how this played out. Baker Mayfield is, I think it's fair to say by far the best quarterback they've had since the reincarnation of this franchise in 1999 after the original team moved to Baltimore because they've been horrible for two and a half decades. Hearing you say that, I wanted to immediately disagree, but then I'm looking back. It's like, oh my God, that might actually be true. He's the like, only I can't quarterback think of any who's won All the quarterbacks game. that they've had. Yeah, he beat my <laughs> Steelers in a, a really impressive performance uh, in 2020, 48 points for that Cleveland Browns team. Now, Baker may feel disappointed on the field in a lot of senses. 2019 was a really bad season, and 2021 was really bad as well. And I think his shoulder injury is a big part of that. And I'm someone who... I'm going to go against the Cleveland Browns as much as possible. You know, as a Steelers fan, (laughs) I've had so many reasons to hate them over the years, particularly in the last few. Of course, the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph incident is a huge one. But while I think the Browns have uh, they deserve a lot of criticism for what has transpired over the past four months. The reason why Baker Mayfield is no longer on the Browns is because of Baker Mayfield's performance. Ultimately, I think the Browns made a smart decision not locking him up to the $35 million deal or whatever it was he was looking for. And as much as I would have loved them to do that, I think from a football perspective, if you have a quarterback who is not a guaranteed like Super Bowl winning quarterback, you're talking guys like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Those are the kind of guys you want to give those contracts to. Josh Allen certainly deserving someone who's drafted later in his class. If you do a redraft, Allen's going number one, not Baker Mayfield. And I think that it's not even ultimately close Baker Mayfield, yes, it's a really horrible situation. I think he deserved a lot more from the Browns. But the reason why he's not on that team is because he didn't play well. And I don't know how much that injured shoulder should be blamed on Mayfield for forcing himself out there or the Browns just letting him play, not putting him on the sideline, not making him undergo surgery. But I think ultimately Baker Mayfield's performance does not live up to the bill of number one overall pick. And it's hard for me to say that it's just entirely on Cleveland because they had a really great situation and Baker proved to be good enough to win when everything was going well. And we saw things go not so well too often uh, that I just have to say that, you know, I think when it comes down to it, the Browns made a solid call here. We'll see how the Watson thing plays out. That certainly could blow up in their face. But in terms of moving on from Baker Mayfield, I think it's disappointing that things didn't work out. You could argue that he deserved much better, but Cleveland made this decision because Mayfield is did not prove that he is a guy deserving of a franchise quarterback contract that he was uh, expected to command if if they would have actually locked him up to a long-term deal. I pretty much agree with everything you've said. It's just I can't help but look at who they brought in to replace him. And if that's they replaced totally him fair, with, yeah. If they brought in uh, Russell Wilson, let's just use him for example. If it were him, then it's just, oh, well, well Baker's nowhere near as good as Russell Wilson. Or... and. and Russell Wilson's a winner. <laughs> That's another thing about him. He's he's definitely a good person on and off the field and has proven to be an elite quarterback and has been healthy for the most part outside of parts of last year. And so if it was someone like that to replace Baker, then I'd probably say, well, Baker didn't deserve to be the long-term option and getting paid all this crazy money that he wouldn't deserve. But because they brought in Deshaun Watson to a predatory perv <laughs> then I, I I can't help but look at the Browns thinking like what are you doing bringing this guy a great talent of course but obviously some pretty bad off the field issues and 
a fully guaranteed contract as yeah, well and I, for that much money. I definitely agree that there's a lot of questionable decision-making on the Browns. I'm trying to separate trading Baker Mayfield away and trading for Deshaun Watson and really focusing just on the former part. But yes, you put it all together. Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. They're a terrible organization. Baker Mayfield always had that going against him. Although the past few seasons, the Browns have at least been relevant. And Baker, while being a big part of that, I think you have to put a lot of credit to the team that the Browns surrounded him with. And if he gets surgery and misses most of last season instead of trying to play through it, I don't know where we're standing right now. I don't know that Baker is being traded for a future fifth-round pick because the last time we see him, he's winning a playoff game. He's going into Kansas City, almost beating that team there. And I think that it's uh, it's a much different picture just given how things played out with Baker Mayfield. Clearly not 100%. And because of that, it shows a will to win and wanting to be on the field, but ultimately... I think that's part of his downfall here is that he did try to gut it out and he just was not capable of being a starting quarterback that could lead a very talented Browns team to the playoffs. Instead, they went, what, eight and nine, and they ultimately missed the field entirely. (laughs) I'm trying to play a bell noise. There you go. I know. I was like wondering (laughs) if I would throw a bell in there to say we move on. I don't know if you could hear that. I could hear it. So. Yeah, so that's that's the the bell noise that we're going to use. <laughs> All right. Oh, and one more thing. Is this the right move for Carolina? bringing in Baker Mayfield. So I think of all the teams in the league that could have made this decision, the Panthers always made the most sense to me, partially because they didn't have solid quarterback play last year. The Sam Darnold experiment did not work out. I know the first four weeks or so he was doing his best Josh Allen impression but that quickly faded and uh, he was not their starting quarterback for most of the season I think ultimately Baker Mayfield will win this starting competition over him Uh, but part of the reason as well is I think the Panthers are just the most desperate team to try to make this move they have a lame duck coach their general manager Scott Fitterer while he's only entering a second season, I don't know if year one was enough to give him a ton of job security. So I get it. They want to make this move and hope that they can have a pissed off Baker Mayfield come in and just use his tenacity and his fire and his desire to prove the Browns wrong and prove that he's a starting quarterback. Uh, I think that it you makes know who sense. the Panthers play. They, in they week play one? the Cleveland Browns. Yes. And that's perfect. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Perfect. I don't know if that went into the decision making at all. I don't think they made the move because of one week, but I think it makes a ton of sense for the Panthers to do this. Uh, they're in a division that yes, the Buccaneers are going to be the expect to be the top team. Now that Brady's coming back, a lot of other uh, players from that roster are returning, but the saints, I don't know. Sean Payton's gone. Jameis Winston's coming off a torn ACL. I don't know that they're going to be as great of a team. They lost some guys in free agency. And uh, the Atlanta Falcons are probably even worse off than the Panthers. So They're, uh, they're going to play Mariota and then probably eventually Desmond yeah, Ritter. Yeah, third-round pick. And I think that if I'm the Panthers, I'd rather be playing Baker Mayfield than third-round pick uh, uh, Corral. Uh, <laughs> or Matt Corral. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Corral, uh, right. <laughs> So, no, I, I do think that this was a really good decision for the Panthers. I don't know that it's necessarily getting them to the playoffs, but I think that they're they're a team that should have made this type of move. I'm on, I'm on the same page with you. It's definitely a good move for the Panthers. Now, how much of an improvement is it uh, having Baker over Darnold and Matt Corral? We'll see. It's probably not that much of an improvement, but it definitely is an improvement over those guys especially Darnold the way he looked great in the first few games last year but after after that it was downhill after that and yeah there were two teams that in my opinion are desperate for a quarterback one was Seattle and the other is Carolina and I'd much rather maybe Robbie Anderson would disagree but I'd much rather have <laughs> Baker as my starting quarterback uh over Darnold and just look at the try to look at the pos- positives where he had Okay, he, he yes, he had an injury last year and was not good, but he's also had a couple other good seasons. And another thing that surprised me about this trade was that, okay, so they only had to trade a fifth-round pick for him, which is kind of what I expected. It'd, be, it'd just be a, a draft pick or two, but they also only had to pay, I think it was 4 or $5 million of his 22 yeah, million contract. Yeah, so like, they wow. lowered his 
contract from 17 million to 14 million and Cleveland's eating I think 10 and a half million. So yeah, Carolina's I, very I, low risk move. I thought for sure that okay, if Carolina's only going to give up this much then they're going to be taking on a huge chunk of the contract, but no, it's actually they didn't have to give up much draft capital and they don't have to take up much of his salary, which part of me thinks it's okay, yeah, Baker's not great, but part of me thinks it's still a really smart move for Carolina's part and wonder how much leverage did Cleveland really have? They probably didn't have much leverage. <laughs> no, at all. not at all. And uh, I think that Cleveland's just kind of happy to be done with the saga, get something back for him, but we'll see how this goes. Carolina's offensive line is nowhere near as good as Cleveland's offensive line. Christian McCaffrey, when he's healthy, you could say he's probably just as, if not just as good, if not better than um, Nick Chubb, but we haven't seen him on the field much the past two seasons, so who knows what kind of talent he's at right now. They do have a solid receiving room with DJ Moore, DJ Robbie Moore, Anderson, Robbie Anderson Terrace Marshall. Yeah, they, they definitely have some, some names there. So I think there's an opportunity for him to have some success, but it's, it's really going to come down to Baker Mayfield proving that he is actually a great quarterback and not just a product of a really solid offense in Cleveland uh, for that one season. Things went really well in 2020. I think it's a good fresh start for him. I don't for think sure. It's, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's going to be great or anything, but I think it could help his career. All right, so let's move on to our next topic, and that is the Open Championship, which took place this past weekend, the old course at Royal St Andrews, and through 54 holes, Rory McIlroy was tied for first, 16 under, entering Sunday, and well, he played well. Finished with a, a 70, still a respectable showing under par. Cam Smith had one of the best Sundays in the Open Championship history, shooting a 64, roaring back, winning by two strokes. So was this Open Championship, particularly Sunday, more about Cam Smith winning or Rory losing? This is a great question because I'm at, I actually have a hard, having a hard time answering which one because I think it's there's another one where it's a combination of both because... Look at Rory. He was the favorite entering the Open, and I certainly thought he was going to win uh, even before the tournament. And once once it got to the end of the third round, he was tied with Victor Hovland at 16 under and four shots ahead of the next best players, uh, including Cam Smith and the other Cam, uh, Cam <laughs> Cameron Young. Young. And I figured, all right, well, it's going to be t- between these two guys. Even though the course is playing too easy, I figured, you know what, this is Rory's to win. He's a man on a mission right now because not only is he playing better than anyone uh, heading into the tournament, but he also has had some uh, comments about the Live Tour and has certainly been very critical of everything that's been going on. And because of that, I feel like he's been even extra motivated to 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 win. And also, just haven't he hasn't won a major in eight years now, and and he played great for the three rounds and then the fourth round okay he only shot he shot one under so he shot under par which is great but the course again was playing too easy to the point where there were guys even though there were four plus shots behind there was the course was easy enough for them to catch up and uh, as the day went on I I thought Roy was going to win but as the day went on I'm thinking myself wow Cam Smith is birding hole after hole after hole and I'm thinking Wow, I think Roy's going to blow it and Cam Smith's going to win. That's exactly what happened. And I'll admit, I'm having a tough time answering it because I think Cam Smith was great on the final round. He shot eight under par and he, he took advantage of the course on the back nine and and was a deserving champion golfer of the year. And Rory, it's kind of the same thing with, with majors ever since. He hasn't won a major in eight years and he, he finished the top 10 in every major this year, which is great, but... It, time after time, he keeps choking <laughs> in, in these in these majors, and I think the right answer is probably Cam Smith. But who's a name that you care about more, Rory or Cam Smith? Like, Rory's a bigger name than Cam Smith. No offense to your twin, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think Rory's a much bigger name than than Cam Smith. And so I, that's probably a dumb way to look at it. But yeah, I I look at the the bigger more known golfer. I mean, look at, uh, this is a, not the best comparison, but remember when Spieth, uh, in the 2016 masters blew it. And then Danny Willett went on to win and people were saying, well, this is going to be the masters that's looked at as Jordan Spieth losing it instead of Danny Willett winning it. 
And part of that's because of the way Jordan Speed played uh, at the back nine of, of that tournament, but it's also because Jordan Speed was the number one guy on tour and Danny Willett was just another golfer. And so <laughs> the right answer is probably Cam Smith, but I, I can't help but leaning with Rory choking it away again. So... Cam Smith, I know you mentioned the whole lookalike comment. He's someone that I've rooted for recently, <laughs> uh, pretty much ever since I heard that. And he's a great golfer. I think he's someone who's starting to become a name that is familiar to casual golf fans who tune into majors because he's performed well in majors. So he just played really well at the Masters. and Yeah, he won players too. Yes. So he's someone who is a very deserving winner. I mean, he was awesome on Sunday, shooting a 64. That's the best final round at the Open Championship for a winner since Zach Johnson shot a 65 in 2015. Or I guess that was a previous. This is now the best. This is the best final round Sunday ever at one of the the most iconic golf courses, the, the oldest known course in the world. So Cam Smith absolutely won this tournament on Sunday with his performance, his putting. And he had a phenomenal all-around weekend. Saturday was a little tough shooting a 73, but that was coming off a unofficial PGA Tour record, 255 total made putts on Friday. So great weekend for Cam Smith. But the answer, it's Rory. It's 100% Rory because, like you said, he's a bigger name. He's someone that he entered this tournament, one of the favorites to win the whole thing. I know he's from Northern Ireland, not from Scotland, but it's it's the UK. This is, this is his tournament his major tournament as the kind of the local guy everyone is rooting for and he he didn't lose this on Sunday he played well he shot a 70 he hit every single green in regulation missed a lot of missed a lot of typically what happens with Rory is that he hits the ball arguably better than anybody but his putting is what kills him two putted every hole still which if you two putt every hole you hit every green in regulation you have I mean, he had 18 putts on the final nine holes, which is, it could obviously be better. You could one putt a few. Cam Smith had 12 and nine holes, but I don't think that Rory necessarily lost the tournament. I think he played well enough that he should have won. Cam Smith won it from him, but the bigger story to me is definitely Rory losing, coming so close yet so far away once again. And that's been the story of him for the past eight years since he won the the Open in the PGA in 2014. And I think he's always going to be the guy. Like you said with Jordan Spieth, it's a similar scenario. Those names are always going to stand out to the casual golf fan because they're the guys you expect to pull out these victories. You want to see them win. The whole crowd is rooting for Rory. Yet in the end, we're now left wondering, is he ever going to break through and win another major? Which he's only right. 33 years old, but the clock is starting to tick. You know, Not everyone is going to have a, as many opportunities as they get in their late 30s and early 40s. I just can't help factoring in the names, which is probably wrong. But okay, yes, Cam Smith, he shot eight under and Rory played pretty well. Or, or not, not bad, but not great on the, in the final round. And so... You can certainly say Cam Smith took the tournament and and won it and deserved it, but I can't help factoring in the names when the guy that's leading is the the, the favorite heading into the tournament and, like you said, not exactly local but close enough. Or he, it's his tournament to win, but he but some he lets someone else get it, and so I I lean with Rory losing it. If, if I had to, pick. I think pretty much anyone else, Cam Smith and his performance is all we're talking about. But the fact that it was Rory McIlroy, I think that that has to be just as equal, if not greater, uh, just given all the context surrounding him and majors at this point. Okay, so moving on, we have a move in the NBA, sort of a move. It's a move. He didn't move yeah. anywhere, <laughs> but it is it is a. A big news story with DeAndre Ayton staying in Phoenix uh, because the Suns were able to match the Pacers' max offer sheet to DeAndre Ayton. And first question is, would you say this is a surprising move, uh, what happened here with DeAndre Ayton going back to Phoenix and not going to the Pacers? I don't know what's more surprising, that Ayton is sticking around in Phoenix because after that Game 7 horrible blowout loss where Ayton was benched for most of the second half, I thought for sure he was done. But I don't know if that's more surprising than the fact that this guy, number one overall pick four years ago, averages 16 and 10 throughout his career, is a 
the starting center on an NBA Finals team and a team that wins 64 games even got to the point where another team was able to give him an offer sheet in restricted free agency. Because from a pure basketball perspective, there shouldn't have been any doubt that DeAndre Ayton would stick around in Phoenix. He's a young player, 23 years old. He's the kind of franchise center you want. The, the on-court success is all there. The Suns won 64 games this past season. Uh, there's There should have been no reason that it came to this. But all of these stories that come out about the off-the-field stuff, some of the, the problems with head coach Monty Williams. I mean, you, you have uh, stories saying that DeAndre Ayton gets two hours of sleep some nights because he's out playing video games all the time. And uh, when Jesus. Devin Booker was announced as the... Uh, cover athlete for NBA 2K23, there were tons of people talking about, oh, DeAndre Ayton's going to be pissed that his favorite video game has this guy on the cover who's presumably going to be a former teammate. But in the end, turns out Phoenix wanted to bring him back the whole time. I don't know how this all came together, but it was one of those things when Indiana matched Joffrey Sheet, I said, well, he's going to Indiana. There's no way he's staying in Phoenix. And the Suns matched it immediately so i don't i don't know i mean it, it, i'm surprised but i feel like i shouldn't be surprised well do you think it's really a move to just have a piece for, to get a big piece like so for example kevin durant i know that they can't really make that isn't there a rule where he can't they can't, can't make be that traded trade january until 15th. january yes so january we would 15th, be hoping right. that durant stays in brooklyn and that hoping the nets change their mind about wanting deandre ayton which they, apparently they didn't That's want what, him that's part of my thinking is that okay they need they need to have a real trade piece but they don't want to trade Devin Booker because he's their centerpiece and okay Chris Paul great point guard future hall of famer but he's getting to the end almost and so they need to have a real trade piece to offer to get a different star player and DeAndre Aiden would be their best trade piece if you rule out Devin Booker and so part of me thinks it's really just to have that big piece to trade uh, at some point. And I, I do agree with that. I don't think Phoenix wanted to lose him for nothing. Uh, you know, well, whether Aiton gets traded at the deadline or maybe next summer after seeing another season play out, I do think is a very strong possibility still. I don't think this is necessarily a big commitment. Uh, but one one thing that I've been thinking about, and uh, this is completely on me. I haven't heard anyone else talk about this, but I, I was reading a story earlier about DeAndre Ayton signing from his Scottsdale, Arizona home. And present at the signing were both general manager James Jones and owner Robert Sarver. If you're familiar with Sarver and the Suns, you would know that they're currently under investigation by the NBA on allegations of workplace harassment, misogyny, racism, lots of horrible things that he's being accused of. And for a long time, Suns fans have not been a huge fan of their owner, Robert Sarver. Sell the team chants are commonplace back in the day before they were winning games in the pre-COVID era. And... One of the complaints against Sarver is that he's too hands-on as an owner, that he tries to make basketball decisions that he's not qualified to do. And I don't know if this is conspiracy theory, but part of me is wondering, was this Sarver's doing? Was he the one who said, we can't let this guy walk for nothing, our number one overall pick? We have to pay him. I don't care if it means we go over the luxury tax for now. I want this to be out there to try to save himself from Suns fans because I think that Phoenix Suns fans watching their number one overall player franchise center move on from nothing would be horrible for him. So maybe this is an an effort to save face Sarver saying, no, match this offer sheet, keep DeAndre and, and down the road we can figure things out with him. That's one thing that kind of came to mind to me when I, I saw that that Sarver was involved in there because I don't know if that's a common thing that you'd have an owner showing up to a player's house for a contract signing. Maybe, but I don't know. <laughs> it's a little conspiracy. I mean, we've, theory, seen cra- I guess. we've seen we've seen crazier things. Not the best comparison, but I don't know if you remember DeAndre Jordan <laughs> leave trying to leave to yeah, uh, Dallas, and all of a sudden all. The roster locks him in his house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily locked in his house. It was after they <laughs> matched off or sheet. But yeah, I, I do think that could certainly be a factor that the owner is basically saying, no, we need to pay this guy. 
we'll go into luxury tax and I'll deal with that later because I think that it would look really horrible if the Sun just let him walk for nothing. And it, I get that they'd much rather have DeAndre Ayton than Miles than, Turner than not or you know anything they could have gotten in a sign and trade. But yes, of course, yes, oh, and nothing. But there were, there were reports coming out that they were much more comfortable with a, a younger, cheaper option, or at least cheaper option instead of paying eight in the max. So it's just it's been a very confusing thing, and that's why I've said I feel like I'm surprised because of how this uh, this whole thing has played out these past few months. And part of me is surprised just because of the way Aiton feels about Phoenix. I think it's obvious that he uh, does not love it there anymore and he wants to be out. But at the same time, Phoenix can't lose him for nothing. Well, if they if he were to go to in Indiana, they probably would have, like you said, get something back in a sign trade. But if they were interested, yes. Same, at the, uh-huh. At the same time, it's like, all right, he's your number one pick. And I know he's not your best player, but he's the number one pick from several years ago. And that would kind of suck to just lose him for for basically nothing or little return. Yeah, and Aiton is happy with the the generational wealth he just accumulated, $133 million over the next four years. So we'll see if that uh, that changes some of his issues. But I, I would not be surprised if we continue to to hear about some of the problems with Aiton and Phoenix and that this uh, reunion does not last that full four years or anything close to it. All right, so our last uh, main topic to get to is about baseball. Monday night, Juan Soto won the home run derby. And this is significant, not just because he put on a great show, but this happened just days after reports saying that he turned down a 15-year, $440 million extension offer from the Washington Nationals. So just 23 years old, he had the opportunity to sign the biggest contract in baseball history, and yet he said no. So do you agree with Soto's decision to turn down this deal? Well, first of all, it's great that we had another home run derby where the guy who should have won and hit 20 or 30 home runs more than the other guy <laughs> and the other guy ends up winning. Just great great on baseball again to have the <laughs> who the the guy who really put on a show just end up losing again. That's just great. But anyway, do I do I agree with Soto's decision? Now, you know, look, he probably can get more money. He probably could get $500 million and maybe he could probably get it at better AAV because if he were to take this contract, it would be a shy under $30 million a year. And look, maybe he can probably get better AAV at $40 million a year or he could get the same length, but more. I don't, whatever it is, he probably could get more. That's probably true. But I got to tell you, as just a casual, well, maybe not casual, but just an outsider. Uh, I gotta say, if if the devil offered me four hundred forty million dollars to play for the baseball team in hell, I think I would even take that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think I could uh, say no to four hundred forty million in any sort of situation uh, that's legal. <laughs> so uh, it sounds so crazy that he would turn this down but look he's one of the best hitters in baseball now if you look at his batting average it's not great this year but... he is having a down season after but being one of the best statistical players last season but there's a large enough sample size where it's like all right like this guy has the power and basically the plate discipline to be one of the best if not the best hitter in baseball and so it probably is smart but at the same time it's like, wow, you're being offered all of that and you still say no. It's like, geez, like what if some freak thing happens? It's not like football where football, I don't blame players whatsoever for holding out. It's because one injury, one bad injury, whether it's to their head or knees or whatever, it, you, you're, it could be, be over just like that. But in baseball, it's I feel like it's much, much less likely that you would get a career-ending or life-altering injury. So... Yeah, so it's probably smart, but it doesn't feel that way as just just a regular person that doesn't make near that kind of money whatsoever. So I don't know. Like, probably is, but it doesn't feel great. So Juan Soto is arguably the best player in the National League. I mean, he is an incredible hitter, and he's only 23 years old. He has so much more career ahead of him. He's arbitration eligible for two more seasons before he reaches unrestricted free agency at the end of 2024. 
And he'll be playing his first season on a new contract if he were to get to that point at age 26. Same age that Bryce Harper, Manny Machado were a few years ago when their free agencies were a huge deal. They ended up signing huge $300 million contracts. And I think if you hear the term, the number $440 million, you're crazy to say, like, why would you turn that down? That's a, the biggest total value ever in MLB history. But the 15-year aspect, I think, is a significant thing to consider because, like you said, the AAV is pretty low. And I think that a team like maybe the Mets or the Yankees or the Dodgers or some other big market that has been consistent with winning could get Soto for a 15-year, $440 million deal. But part of the factor or consist- here... Or consistent with uh, just picking up players at absurd contracts. Yeah, which all those teams do. Yes, (laughs) at least least making the playoffs. The Nationals won the World Series. He got a taste of winning, and they've been one of the worst teams in baseball ever since. So I understand the hesitance to commit to that organization, especially after trading Steven Sprosberg last year. Um, They let Anthony Rendon walk in free agency. So I think that I, I totally understand Soto wanting to not commit to this franchise, especially for that long, and probably less money that he could get elsewhere. So, no, I totally Did you mean Max Scherzer? Did I not say Max Scherzer? Scherzer? I said Strasburg. No, I did mean Max Scherzer. Yes. Yeah, so they traded Max Scherzer. It's just that you said that. I'm like, did I miss something? (laughs) No, no, they they traded Max Scherzer. They did sign Steven Strasburg um, even after letting Anthony Rendon walk. But... 29 million i mean anthony rendon 35 million a year i think soto could definitely get more than or at least that much carlos correa just signed a short term with the twins but he was still 35 million lindor francisco lindor the mets just got a huge contract extension last year 34 million uh, nolan arenado 33 million so yeah the numbers are there to say that he should be getting higher aav i get maybe years 12 through 15 if he were to take in a 10 or 11 year deal, he wouldn't be making that much, you know, 29 million then potentially. But uh, I think that I would take that short term big bump and not worry about those years down the road if I'm Juan Soto. And I do think some GM, some ownership group is going to uh, pay this guy a ton of money. And if the Nationals don't do anything to change that offer by either increasing the total compensation or lowering the years and increasing the AAV. They'll end up trading him in August to a team that uh, does go all out to keep him for the long haul because he is just that special of a player. I couldn't help but look at seeing this, seeing that Juan Soto declined this offer. I couldn't help but think. What does this mean for Rafael Devers and the Red He's Sox? He's going to get a huge contract. Yeah, Matt Olson was apparently the comparison they used, which just doesn't make any sense because no. <laughs> Olson is a first baseman and Devers is a third baseman. Who could be a future first baseman. He could be a future first baseman, but I think that his domestic defensive metrics have been good enough to leave him at third for now and regardless he's a better player than Matt Olson. So, yeah that's, that's how it comes yeah. down to. <laughs> no I, I certainly I, I don't think he would get anywhere close to what Soto is getting but, but he still um, could get 300 million so he should still get a huge contract and he's definitely the kind of player the Red Sox should pay. And it's just concerning because they've already lost bets and they're probably mm-hmm. about to lose Bogarts after this year and then eventually after that it would be Devers and so yeah, no, that would be tough. Just like it would be tough for the Nationals to move to lose Juan Soto, but it seems like that's where we're heading. And I, I understand if the if the Nationals don't want to go higher than that, they should absolutely trade him, get a huge haul. I mean, they're saying like a Herschel Walker type package is what they would get because that's how good this guy is. And at only 23 years old, you know that even if you sign him to a huge deal, you're getting a lot of his prime uh, for what could be considered a bargain if he continues to play as well as he has. I mean, he was an MVP runner-up last season. Even in a down year, he's, what, 800 ops, 19 home runs, 42 RBIs, just won the home run derby. So uh, clearly he's, uh, he's a star, and he's someone that any team should value and be willing to pay a ton of money, like a ton, a ton, a ton of money for. So I think it's only a matter of time before somebody does that. Probably not Washington. Nope. 
Okay, so let's do a quick pause here just so I can take some time to plug an appearance I had on another podcast. That is the Ultimate Sports Mashup Podcast, where Cam and Jay had me on as a guest judge to help determine who would win in a best of seven series uh, between the 2003 Florida Marlins and the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals. I had a ton of fun judging that one. Great episode, great time with those guys. I had never met either of them before in person, worked with either of them, did not know what to expect going in, but it was awesome. And I, I think that we all had a ton of fun doing that. So if you're interested to see who won, and uh, you know, have a good time talking baseball, check out Ultimate Sports Mashup Podcast wherever you are listening to this one. I'll also have information for them in the bio section for this episode. So Ultimate Sports Mashups, 2003 Florida Marlins, 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, Corey Novotny is a guest judge. Go check it out. All right, so let's... Uh... Let's borrow a segment from PTI and get to happy time. Happy birthday, Ben Simmons, July 20th, 1996. He'll be celebrating his birthday as you're listening to this. The former number one overall pick in the 2016 draft, won rookie of the year with the Philadelphia 76ers, was a huge part of that process and them turning things around. But of course, things did not end great, missing or passing on a layup in Game 7, a famous moment. He just was afraid to shoot the basketball in that loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Now he's a member of the Brooklyn Nets, and we have no idea when he'll be on the court again. Yeah, happy birthday to the most overrated player in the league. Congratulations to him. Let's see if he can... uh, (laughs) Let's see if he can turn around his career and be a big part of the Brooklyn Nets, but we'll see what, like you said, we'll, we'll see what happens with Brooklyn if Kyrie or KD will still even be there. And if they're not, that would be pretty funny because <laughs> Ben Simmons would have to be the leader of a team. Get out. <laughs> yeah, that that would be entertaining to see. And I know that he's not happy about that being a possibility. Yeah. Well, speaking of real winners, happy anniversary to the Milwaukee Bucks because uh, one year ago today, the Milwaukee Bucks won the, the championship uh, versus the Phoenix Suns last year. And even though I was high on the Suns the year before and was kind of pulling from at the same time, it's like it's so much better that Milwaukee won, especially for Giannis, one of the most likable p- players, real winners uh, <laughs> uh, in the game, unlike Ben Simmons. And it was pretty awesome to see the motions he had after winning and then and then going to Chick-fil-A after it, <laughs> the next day yeah, and very iconic a, video yeah, there getting a a 50 not not 49 not 51 uh 50 piece uh, t- uh what was it, like Chick-fil-A yeah, chicken, chicken nuggets chicken nugget meal and he had it was like half sprite half, half lemonade or something very good yeah i did yeah. try that a few days later <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was that was a sweet way to celebrate so that was that was pretty cool to see and uh, good for them. Yeah, and I, we'll never know what would have happened if Chris Middleton didn't get hurt. But uh, there's certainly reason to believe that the Bucs could very well win another championship in the you know, next season. Here, uh, happy trails, Chris Sale, in just his second start of the season after missing the first three months due to a stress fracture in his rib he suffered in the off season. Chris Sale took a Line drive off his pinky finger from the Yankees' Aaron Hicks. End up with a broken finger. Back to the injured list where he's expected to miss four to six weeks. We might not see him again until September. So uh, as great as he was in that 2018 postseason World Series run, I think there has to be some buyer's remorse from the Red Sox as uh, he keeps getting injured and that contract extension he signed a few years ago just looks worse and worse. I like Chris Sale, but... Even the the day that contract was signed, I was even questioning it at the time. It was like, this guy is going to break down. <laughs> He's already in his uh, 30s, and he has the frame that he has. And, he, okay, yeah, in 2018, he had his moments, but he also had moments of, like, I, I don't know, break, breaking down, or, or he couldn't get through as many innings as David Price, because David Price was the much bigger factor uh, in that postseason than, than Chris Sale was. and. 
Uh, ever since he signed that contract, it's been a disaster. And yes, he came back and he pitched great against Tampa, but then he was not pitching well versus the Yankees for those first couple innings. And then either it was way, just he, the first inning. He was yeah, he was already struggling, knocked yeah. out. Yeah, and then the and then he inning. gets this freak injury, which mm-hmm. which is not great, and it looks like it's going downhill for for the Red Sox, and we'll eventually be saying happy trails to Bogart's endeavors, like I said earlier. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> at least <laughs> at least not Devers. Uh, I'd prefer if they both came back, but we'll see. Uh, All right, well, let's get to our f- the final takes. And instead of the, what do they call it on PTI? The, it the let's go to the big finish. finish. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it the final takes uh, instead. So, Final takes. Uh, well, Penguins, they re-signed Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang to long-term deals just recently. How do you feel about your Penguins uh, heading into next season? I Next season, great. I think both these guys were really good last year. I mean, it's unfortunate that uh, goaltending costs them a potential playoff run again. Short-term, love it. Long-term, if I get another playoff run out of it, I don't necessarily care about a few years from now. Bring it back keep this core together 16 years and counting very excited yeah and another positive at least they're not the Bruins you know because they're bringing back (laughs) Patrice Bergeron and Dave Krejci yeah that's great but they're also in their late 30s and they have the 32nd ranked farm system in the NHL and you know what that means they are the worst uh (laughs) they have the worst farm system in the NHL not not good yeah not good at all uh sticking with hockey Johnny Gaudreau, after nine seasons in Calgary, wanted to go closer to home, and he and closer to his home in New Jersey. So he signs a big contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Are the Devils and Flyers really that bad of an option? Well, when Anthony D'Angelo is in Philly, I certainly would not want to play for them. And <laughs> New Jersey, okay, they have these first round picks but they have done nothing <laughs> over these past several years and Columbus isn't the greatest but they're okay and it's cool to see that Ben has the second home now in Columbus as well uh, <laughs> since uh, if you, obviously yeah, if you look at Johnny a Google Hockey picture of Johnny Goudreau it's basically Ben's twin so it's cool that he has a second home now in Columbus uh, well sticking with uh, sports but moving to football we got the Steelers announcing a new football field name uh, for their field. It's no longer Heinz Field. It is now something called Acrisure Stadium. How do you feel about that? A Michigan-based insurance company, just absolutely terrible. I'm still calling it Heinz Field. I still call uh, the Ch- the Chief Stadium Arrowhead. I refuse to call it. What's it called? Like Gayha Field or something? Like I Gayha. didn't even realize that they yeah, renamed the, the, it. The Seahawks, uh, their field is now Lumen Field. Yeah, uh, get still CenturyLink. Yep. Still CenturyLink. I, exactly. I'm still going to... Uh, perfect example. Lakers, uh, get the hell out of here with cryptocurrency. Crypto.com, yeah. Dot com. <laughs> well, they're going to have to go back to Staples give, pretty give me, soon with the way I'm crypto's call, going. I'm, Still, that's true too. <laughs> I'm still calling Staples Center. Get the heck out of here with Crypto.com Center. Yeah. So the uh, the Patriots traded wide receiver Nikhil Harry to the Bears for a future seventh round pick. Uh, first round pick in just 2019. Are you sad that the Nikhil Harry era is over? <laughs> no, in I'm rejoiced. <laughs> Thank God it's over. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the seeing that pick happen and. Seeing Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, and DK Metcalf get taken in the next round—that's just that's just great. That's just 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 awesome. And what's funny about this move is that he goes to the Bears, right? He the Bears might be the one team where you could say Nikhil Harry is an upgrade for the for the they wide receiver a, yeah, room. Really oh, that that wide, wide receiver room <laughs> is the worst in the NFL. Uh, they got Darnell Mooney, who's pretty good, and then they got Byron Pringle, who. Always plays with a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> That's my favorite dad joke. And and then Nikhil Harry, he's probably their next best receiver. Uh, we'll see how good Vellis Jones is, a 25-year-old special teamer uh, that they picked in the third round. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes from Nikhil Harry. In all honesty, I would like to see what it's like on a different team because I think from the start, I was not a Nikhil Harry fan whatsoever, but 
to be fair, his first year, he was playing with an angry Tom Brady who just wanted to get the heck out of here, and so all the pressure went to him, especially being injured for the first half of the season. It's like, oh, great. All this pressure uh, is on him as a rookie. Like, that's not fair. And then the second year, he had to deal with Cam Newton, guy who just the least accurate quarterback in the league. And then last year was kind of that, all right, like, you got to show something. I know Mac Jones is a rookie, but he's good enough where it's like, if you can't perform now, it's it's over. <laughs> yeah, hey, that, that year four bump is coming, and uh, Justin Fields is going to have a fun time throwing it to Harry. <laughs> Moving on back to basketball, we saw the Trailblazers win the NBA 2K23 Summer League title. What are your thoughts on that? I think that is the closest Damian Lillard will come to winning a <laughs> ring in Portland because they're actually winning rings for <laughs> winning the Summer League title. Well, what if he has 2K and he plays as the Trailblazers and goes on to win a championship there? Then you could say that might be the closest to winning yeah, a championship. Yeah, him and, him and DeAndre Ayton up, up all night <laughs> playing 2K <laughs> on PS5. <laughs> all right, last topic here, going back to baseball. Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, and Drew Jones, son of Andrew Jones, were taken with the first two picks in the MLB draft on Sunday night. Do you feel old yet? Do you remember that scene in Saving Private Ryan when it shows Matt Damon at the end as a soldier, and all of a sudden it just shows his face going to a 70, 80-year-old grandpa? yeah. That's what I think of when I <laughs> see that Matt Holiday. And Andrew Jones' kids are being drafted first and second overall. And don't forget, Carl Crawford's kid drafted 17th overall as well, if you didn't know that. I so, did not know that. Wow. Yeah, so Matt okay. Holiday, Andrew Jones, and Carl Crawford's kids were all drafted in the first round. That's just, just, that is just great. I just remember, I remember like it was yesterday, Carl Crawford was being signed by the Boston Red Sox and how ecstatic I was about that move, only for him to be moved two years later and looking like a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that signing silly didn't work out. The uh, Pirates drafted Tamar Johnson with the fourth overall pick. A lot of the analysts are saying he was the best hitter in the draft. As much as I really wanted Drew Jones, I'm excited for Johnson. So I guess I can say I'm happy that Baltimore and Arizona made those moves if Johnson does turn out to be the, the better player of the three. That's a good way to look at it. All right, so that'll uh, do it for this uh, PTI themed episode uh, i thought it was a fun way to do it we'll see if we do it again we might end up with a cease and desist from uh tony kornheiser and michael wilbon <laughs> that could be the end of that but that'd be kind of cool if we get a, an autograph uh by one of those guys saying don't do that again <laughs> but, um i think i think that was a fun format fun way to get through this so um Moving forward, I mean, football's getting closer. Training camp's right about to start. Yeah, we'll definitely have a lot more NFL. Can't wait to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll continue to throw out more episodes this summer with uh, relevant topics, and uh, I guess just counting down to to week one. Good night, Canada. <laughs> For my co-host Brian Wells, I'm Corn Thanks, everyone. Oh, 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 oh